Good morning. It's Wednesday, the twenty-second of November, and this is Govind Rajathi Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day: strong jewellery demand drives the Titan stock to an all-time high, and its market capitalization crosses three hundred thousand crore rupees. The Bay Area drama continues. Will Sam Altman return to OpenAI? What's at stake? Amazon says it will export twenty billion dollars via e-commerce sales from India. And now, an ETF or an exchange-traded fund that tracks weight loss drug companies like Ozempic in the U.S. And satellite internet is one step closer to launching in India. This is a core report with Govindraj Atiraj. Markets are strong and Titan hits an all-time high. The main indices in the Indian markets snapped a two-day losing run on Tuesday, with the BSE Sensex rising 276 points to end at 65,931, while the Nifty 50 closed at 19,783, higher by 89 points. All in all, a good day. Watch and jewelry company, or is it the other way around? Titan's market capitalization crossed the three hundred thousand crore or three lakh crore rupee mark as its shares hit an all-time high on Tuesday, reflecting strong consumer demand overall as well as for jewelry. A Reuters report earlier had said that with gold prices easing just before the festival season or just before the festival season hit its peak, there was a sixty percent year-on-year surge in demand for gold by jewelers. Titan's market value ended at about three hundred thousand crores, while its stock touched about three thousand four hundred and one rupees per share. So the Titan's market cap, if you look back, crossed a hundred thousand crores in March two thousand nineteen, and this year it's risen about thirty percent from about two hundred and thirty thousand crores, according to BQ Prime. Now the story, of course, is to do as much with the rising consumption of branded jewelry. Titan is the largest in that space, by the way. And its growth, despite gold prices rising over seventeen percent in a year, Titan incidentally opened about sixty-eight stores during the quarter, taking the total count to about two thousand six hundred as of September this year. And with most of those stores being added for jewelry, BQ Prime pointed out. Titan, by the way, was helmed by Tata Group veteran Xerxes Desai, now no more. And from my recollection of visiting the Titan offices about two decades ago, both the watch and the jewelry businesses were first led. And even founded in some ways by senior personnel poached from state-owned HMT or Hindustan Machine Tools. HMT used to make watches too in Bangalore, being where Titan is headquartered as well. The duo I met may have retired or moved on, but the legacy of a watch company that diversified into jewelry at a time many thought it was a foolish punt because the market was largely controlled by unorganized players has clearly taken Titan places. So watch this space. Tesla gets one step closer. No final decision has been made and plans could change, but India is closing in on an agreement with Tesla that would allow the United States automaker to ship its electric cars to the country from next year and set up a factory within 2 years, Bloomberg is reporting. The move to allow Tesla to import cars particularly at lower tariffs, which is likely, is a landmark move and would be unfair to car makers both domestic and international car makers already in India with large local manufacturing investments over time. Car makers have quite likely raised the prospect of this with the government already, who has reportedly said that they would not discriminate against anyone. 
But Tesla getting an opportunity to import into India at scale at lower duties or tariffs at this point would definitely be a favor whichever way it's packaged. It also means that Tesla, which is weighing investing in multiple countries, even at this point, will pretty much get its way. Which if seen from its own point of view as a company steadily expanding global manufacturing capacity with larger markets first, including the United States, China and Germany, seems fair. Bloomberg said an announcement may come at the vibrant Gujarat Global Summit in January. Tesla CEO Elon Musk said in June that Tesla wants to make a significant investment in India and he wants to visit in 2024. There have also been many reports about a car in India or for India being produced at about $20,000. Now, it's not clear whether the $20,000 is the landed cost, is it on-road or at showroom. Either way, that's not going to be a cheap car or a not-so-expensive car is clearly going to be tough for Tesla to produce in India. Commerce Minister Piyush Goel had visited Tesla's plant in Fremont, California last week and he said that Tesla was planning to almost double purchases of auto parts from India to $1.9 billion this year. This, of course, he said earlier, rather before visiting Tesla in Fremont. Speaking of doubling, the company that is there on ground, Japan's Toyota Motor Corporation, which has been in India for over 25 years, has said it will invest about 3,300 crore rupees to build its third manufacturing facility in India, also to gear up for clean technology cars, the Economic Times reported. The unit will take up Toyota's annual output to about 342,000 vehicles, company officials said. The expansion will boost Toyota's total investment in the country to about 19,000 crore. Senior executives at Toyota Kirloskar Motor, the joint venture as it's called in India, said at an event at its facility in Bidadi near Bangalore. Toyota Kirloska Motor signed an MOU with the Karnataka government, being where it's located, on the fresh investment to set up a 100,000 cars a year capacity factory. It will be built within its existing facility in Bidadi and offer employment to about 2,000 people, the company said. So now this is the first major expansion in the Indian market by Toyota in almost 15 years and comes at a time when wait lists for most of its brands are still running into several months. Models like the Urban Cruiser Highrider, Innova Krista, the Hycross and some other imported models have waiting months of three to six months and even beyond, the ET said. Now, these and other launches have obviously swung Toyota into a much stronger position in the Indian market. The new plant is set to go on stream only in 2026, which means if you are waiting for a Toyota branded car that is in India, the waitlist is not likely to clear very soon. Amazon targets exports worth $20 billion from India. Amazon has said that it's targeting merchandise exports worth $20 billion from India by 2025 by adding thousands of small sellers to its e-commerce platform. There was a huge demand for made-in-India organic health supplements, homeware like bath towels, jute rugs and robotic games for children ahead of the Black Friday Cyber Monday sale, a 11-day shopping period from Friday an Amazon official told Reuters. So, launched in 2015 with a handful of sellers, Amazon Global Trade, as it's called, the business-to-consumer exports platform, is apparently gaining traction. Amazon says it's added more than 100,000 small manufacturers to sell a wide range of products to overseas customers. According to Amazon, many of these sellers, or some of them at least, are first-time exporters, including those who've left their corporate jobs to start e-commerce companies with an export focus. Now, the interesting thing is Amazon's claimed growth comes against a decline in India's exports, 7% year-on-year during the first seven months of this year. And the declining export figure and phenomenon is something that we've been talking about in the core report in recent weeks. 
I'm also trying to find the separation between merchandise exports in bulk through traditional routes and to what extent the same products are being picked up through the retail e-commerce route, which obviously would go one piece by one piece, almost. On the e-commerce platform, the highest growth was apparently seen in categories like beauty, apparels, home, kitchen, furniture, and toys. And the interesting thing is that holidays such as Halloween, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas, and New Year are driving sales of Indian products in markets like the United States, Britain, Canada, Australia, and Germany. So, what is the overall scope for Indian exports via e-commerce looking like? Amazon's figures are undoubtedly aggressive. And like I said, I've not been able to source more precise figures on what the bump up in exports via e-commerce is and is likely to be. But I did put that question to Dr. Ajay Sahai, Director General of the Federation of Indian Export Organizations, which houses some 36,000 largish exporting organizations, and asked him how he was seeing e-commerce sales pick up. That's the trend which has started in last two years. Still, we have to move at long distance. If you look into the e-commerce export of the country, it is around 25 to $30 billion as of now. We are looking into a 10x multiplier for the sector in the next five years. There is still a few regulatory issues which needs to be looked into. We need to provide the same treatment to e-commerce export what we are providing to our conventional exports. We have made a lot of progress in the last few months. We are waiting for a new e-commerce policy also to be unveiled by the government soon. E-commerce retail export has been recognized by the DGFT in the new foreign trade policy. We are looking into setting up the e-commerce zones into the country where under one umbrella you can have the services of bank, fintech company, logistics company, foreign post office, customs regulatory authorities. So that e-commerce player just move to the zone or to a park and all the facility is available to them. Let me assure you that in next five to seven years, I'm looking into an export of about $350 to $300 billion of e-commerce retail exports only. And you're saying that we are at about $25 billion today annually, only in a few years, which is bigger than many of your individual sectors today, no, including government. Right. But opportunities here are tremendous. And many of the schemes like GI product or one district, one product can also yield result in a very short time when you bring them on the electronic platform, please bear in mind that those who are producing these kinds of products, they don't have the deep pockets to go for conventional marketing. And we are encouraging also the newcomers to test the market through the e-commerce portal. Because if you are selling a product in a partner market, and over a period of time, you feel that 70% of my customer is coming from U.S., you can very well be assured that U.S. is a possible market when you move to the conventional mode of export. So that's a good groundwork which can be done by the SMEs of the countries. So if I were to take an example of, let's say, a carpet maker from Jaipur, and let's say the carpet maker was exporting a million dollars or five million dollars worth of carpets every year, and today uh, part of it is obviously going through e-commerce. So my question is, has e-commerce expanded the market or has it only, you know, taken out what would have otherwise gone by ship or by air? E-commerce has expanded the market because the customer which is coming for the e-commerce was not earlier available. Yeah, earlier it was mostly B2B businesses. Now we are talking about B2C businesses. And that's why those who are coming on the e-commerce, by and large, they are different than those who are coming for the conventional but the size of the manufacturing pie for that carpet maker, to use the same example, has expanded, is my question. 
Absolutely. Let us look into the differentiation between a B2B and B2C e-commerce. B2C e-commerce is highly tailor-made also, which may not be for the B2B. And that's why the clientele for B2C is completely different from a B2B perspective. The Bay Area drama continues. OpenAI, which owns ChatGPT, has said it's in intense discussions to unify the company after most employees threaten to quit if Sam Altman doesn't return as CEO. To recap, Sam Altman was ousted suddenly by the board of OpenAI and Twitch chief Emmett Shear was also found as an interim replacement. There is, of course, now the prospect of Sam Altman, who was already hired quite quickly by Microsoft to head an AI team there, returning to the fold. And of course, since he has evidently signed on the dotted line with Microsoft, it would be interesting to see how that goes. Except that Microsoft, read Satya Nadella, according to reports again, seems okay to let him go back since Microsoft is already OpenAI's largest shareholder and the technology is all plugged in, so to speak. So Microsoft could be happy either way or Soviet told, but I'm guessing that they would prefer Sam Altman to be under their umbrella. The larger question, of course, is what does all of this, even as it is today, mean for AI and AI development, whether it is sitting in Microsoft or outside? I reached out to Jaspreet Bindra, founder of Tech Whisperer Limited and consultant and speaker on AI implementation. And I began by asking him how he was seeing the story develop so far and which part of it, which is that Sam Altman in Microsoft or Sam Altman outside Microsoft, looked okay to him or how he was perceiving it rather at this point drama i think is the right word right now seems to be more of a comedy hopefully it does not become a tragedy at the end of it but two things two aspects to this so one is the business and if i may say so the enterprise business retail aspect of ai i think irrespective of whether sam altman goes back to open ai or he goes to microsoft i think the pace of that the business aspect of it, the capitalist aspect, if I may say so, the profit-making aspect of it, the value aspect of it, will only accelerate now. Because some of the bindings of structure and otherwise that were there, I think will get loosened because of this drama. And the people who initiated this might end up achieving the reverse of what they wanted. They wanted a hold on some of the speed of development. It might just not happen that way now. But the second aspect of it, which is the whole ethical, responsible alignment aspect of it, for which OpenAI was originally built to achieve AGI, but to achieve it in in a beneficial manner for humankind. And that's the second part. And that, I think, will take a little bit of a backseat, irrespective, again, of the inclusion. While Microsoft has its responsible AI guidelines and Altman seems to have done a fair job in terms of creating guardrails, etc. around what has been created. I think that might take a little bit of a backseat and the for-profit, for-value part of it would probably get even more accelerated than what it was, irrespective of where it was. Right. So in those two scenarios, if we look at Microsoft, so Microsoft obviously has Copilot and all its AI offerings. Now, what could potential situation be with Sam Altman and a large team sitting there Obviously, it would accelerate, but how are you visioning it? What Satya has done amongst all the great strategic moves, operational moves, etc., he's made Microsoft a very, it's become very clear what Microsoft as a company is going to do. It's really three large things. It's the cloud, it's all the productivity and other software, and it's gaming and associated stuff, all underpinned by AI. 
And in fact, in the latest Ignite conference, okay, he even went as far as to say that we've always been an AI company, but now think of us as the co-pilot company. And he, in fact, renamed Bing Chat to co-pilot. And so pretty much co-pilot amongst in all of these things is going to become as ubiquitous as Windows was to us or, you know, something like that was to us. So that, I think that clarity clearly exists. Now, I also do believe that even if there was this scenario that Sam Altman, Greg Brockman, others would, you know, and 700 plus other employees were to move to Microsoft, I don't think there would be much left of OpenAI. And I think whatever is the rump left of OpenAI would also very quickly fold over to Microsoft, in my opinion. Okay, and so in a sense, Microsoft might just do a bloodless coup, if it may. Okay, and the entire company would come into its hands without spending a lot of money. I have always thought that Microsoft would have bought over OpenAI eventually. I think this just makes it easier for them. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned Ignite because NVIDIA founder Jensen Wang was there as well and they shook hands and they said they're going to work together. And Sam Altman was also reportedly trying to create a chip company for which he was out in the Middle East, among other places, trying to raise money. So maybe that caused a conflict in the board from a governance point of view. So how are you seeing, I mean, so what we've seen of AI today, and this is a more consumer question, let's say, is really the evil side of it already. We've seen deep fakes, we've seen people playing around with audio, video, questions about proprietary nature of music. I mean, all kinds of things. So all the sort of the bad things are already out there. How are you seeing that now? Whichever way this whole drama evolves, but how is that looking to you in the next few months or so? To be very fair, both the good things and the bad things are out. And to be fair, both the good things and the bad things of even social media are out there. Okay, both the good things and the bad things of autonomous vehicles are also out there. And both the good things and the bad things of nuclear energy are also out there. Okay, so technology, especially these dual-purpose technologies, work that. These two kind of work in both sense simultaneously. In AI, yes, the whole deepfake stuff and bunches of other things. And frankly, what's going to happen with all the elections next year. But... At least the little spark of optimism, the little silver lining in the cloud is that more than any other technology, take social media as a comparison, business leaders, world leaders, and civil society have started bringing these issues up front much earlier than they did with all other tech. And so that gives a little hope for optimism that while we are racing ahead, building all this stuff, including the bad stuff, some of the responsible and the guardrail stuff also seems to be happening at a pace greater than what it used to happen for other technologies. And that's my little spark of optimism. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that so many Silicon Valley greats themselves rose up in protest against AI, I guess, is an indicator of what you're saying. Last question. So from an India standpoint now, we are talking about regulation, companies are using it. Consumer, I'm not sure which part we are seeing more. What's your sense? I mean, this is a broader question, not so much to do with the Sam Altman drama, but where are we today? In sometimes in many times, Govind, just because of the hype and frenzy of generative AI, we tend to forget that we've been using AI for 30, 40 years, machine learning especially, okay? And enterprises have been using that, largely enterprises. But AI has been like electricity, you know, you only think of it when it's not there. You never saw it. But now with generative AI, that what was lurking has kind of come into the hands of consumers. And we're like, oh, wow. And we're like thinking that something came just one, one and a half, two years. Well, I don't think, frankly, the drama that is happening in Silicon Valley is going to have that much of an effect on India directly. But definitely the regulation, which it will either accelerate or decelerate, okay, will have an effect on India. Because in India, lately, if you see for all technologies, 
we have been tending to say that look let's follow global regulation let's kind of wait for global regulation to happen same thing in crypto in web3 etc etc and therefore you know how this shapes regulation will affect india and therefore how consumers use it and enterprises use it that will be the indirect effect in my opinion. right jaspreet thank you so much for joining me lovely great to be here and great to see you after such a long time go weight loss drugs get special investment vehicles If you've been following the hype around weight loss drugs in the United States, this takes it to the frenzy level. A niche issuer, as it's called, is launching a biotechnology exchange-traded fund or ETF whose key holdings include firms benefiting from precisely the hype around weight loss drugs. The Tema Cardiovascular and Metabolic, that sounds quite crazy actually, ETF tracks companies involved in the treatment of cardiometabolic diseases, a term that links cardiovascular diseases, obesity and diabetes. The actively managed fund has about 20 to 25 core positions including Eli Lilly and Co, Novo Nordisk, Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals and Bridge Biopharma. Morris Spot, founder and CEO of Tema ETFs told Bloomberg. Novo's Ozempic was originally used to treat diabetes and now of course everyone's stock prices are up. Incidentally, these drugs as I hear are also available in India, particularly Ozempic. If you do get hold of them, please do take it under advisement from a medical practitioner is all I can say. And satellite internet comes to India. OneWeb India on Tuesday obtained the necessary authorizations from InSpace to launch Utilsat's OneWeb commercial satellite broadband service in India. OneWeb is the first organization to receive this authorization. Utilsat OneWeb, the low earth orbit or LEO operator, is part of the Utilsat group. InSpace is the agency of the government of India which regulates space activities and grants authorization for conducting space activities in India. This means that Utilsat OneWeb can launch commercial connectivity as soon as spectrum allocation is granted by the government. It's not clear to me how difficult or easy that would be. Sunil Bharti Mittal, Bharti Group chairman and vice president, co-chair of the board of directors of Utilsat Group said that Utilsat OneWeb was ready to deploy as soon as it receives the final spectrum authorization to launch commercial services suggesting that it's not too far on that note the note being that you can soon or potentially soon have satellite internet if your broadband is not working or you're not happy with the speeds and of course you will have more choice because there is of course reliance geo on the anvil as at some point the elon musk application too that's it from me have a great day ahead This was the core report with me Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback@thecore.in. At Thank you for listening. <laughs>